0: Steve, happy Tuesday. How's it going, my man? Yeah,
1: happy Tuesday to you, man. Just uh, another day in paradise here. Nice. And uh, I think uh, the more consistent theme I'm hearing of talking to you know other companies in the industry and just people in general too is just like um, i us say getting sick of the current status, but like, right, <laughs> yeah. what's the next step? Like, ready to move on? You know? I know. Uh, like, because I think you're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel of cases uh, you know all across the country are are dwindling down and um you know i think it's you know obviously need to stay stay uh stay at it for a few more weeks here but it's um yeah i'm ready for it to be over with that's for sure hopefully it's um sooner than later
0: yeah i mean it's that time of year too where just there's this natural like eagerness for something new you know spring's definitely here and coming in many places and You know, it's that cabin fever time of year in general. Spring bears opening, and turkey seasons are opening, and sheds are dropping, mushrooms are popping. Like, there's so much that, yeah, just makes a lot of guys, uh, like us, anxious these days. Anyway,
1: (laughs) yeah, get out and be antsy.
0: Um, well, yeah, let's just go ahead and dive into some listener questions. Had some uh, new topics to hit on, follow-ups on previous uh, topics or conversations that you know I've had. Um, and that questioner, uh, that listeners. Had follow-up questions on. Um to kick things off, there was a good question um from a newer hunter about trail cameras. Um he says he's hunting or will be hunting Washington, Oregon, and Idaho areas. He's not concerned with trophy quality or scoring. He's essentially just, you know, looking for illegal animals, trying to find um good places to hunt. Said specifically he won't be tree stand hunting, he'll be backpacking in, using spot and stalk still hunting, and calling strategies. So this question is, should I be hunting or should I be messing around with setting trail cameras? I haven't heard you guys on the podcast talk about them at all, and I'm just wondering if trail cameras should be part of my strategy to be a successful hunter in these areas.
1: Um, can you go back to, I think I missed, it does he live out west or is... Just he does. Yep. He lives out west. Okay, um, man, they are a awesome tool and resource to use. Uh, I used to do them quite a bit. Um, not much for deer. Uh, we'd put out a, a maybe a, a couple for deer, um, and then definitely would go out and. I guess that for me, this was finding elk country. You know, um, ten plus years ago go out in july august into the areas that you know we think we wanted to hunt in september and and get some cameras out put them on wallows and meadows and things like that Um, and they're awesome awesome resource to have sometimes you'd strike out sometimes you'd find something just killer Um, what ended up happening though is started like covering too much country to where i'd put a camera out and then like um this happened once specifically on a deer i put a camera out on a spot like okay i, you know, I feel really good about it. i'm gonna hunt this opening weekend and then i ended up finding another like really nice buck 10 miles away and uh ended up like having to go in in like november and get that camera back out from the first place in snow and you know just so that like the just wasn't able to find the time to get back to that country and, and had to go late back to do it so that was um kind of the, the you know, I don't even own a trail camera anymore. Uh, I think they just kind of all disappeared or I loaned them out and never got them back. But, um, uh, it was just kind of a, you know, yeah, just, um, just stopped, stopped using them because it's because too much work, you know, this, especially as you get older and kids and you just don't have the time to be bouncing around and, and, uh, checking cameras every weekend. So, um, the one rant last time I think, um, we've really talked heavily about using trail cameras as we did our Alaska moose hunt where we got dropped off for 14 days, that whole miserable experience that apparently what was that term? If you Google like terrible oh, yeah. Alaska moose hunt or something, yeah, it comes the right podcast up. comes up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but we actually did doing that hunt. Um, specifically, I think it just laid the terrain laid out really well for a few, it would have been really advantageous to have two or three cameras that you could have set up, uh, in different spots. Uh, cause there was, glassing was really hard uh the the brush on the edge of the lake it was just completely flat and the brush was 14 feet tall so you could never ever like see all the country there was no hill to climb up and be like oh there's a bull over there there's a bull over there there's a cow over here you know um and so you could like we would leave camp for all day right and then come back and it's like there's a really good chance a moose walked right by camp but we had no idea of, of knowing it so having cameras on that would have been really cool um and then yeah i think just have kind of morphed, um, Hey, I know Idaho really well at this point. So it's like, I know where to find elk and, and, and where they're not. So it's just kind of going out and scouting. I haven't scouted for elk in years. Um, so, uh, as, as far as like making a trip in August to check out new country, you know, it's, it's more or less, um, I guess one thing I found was scouting was great, but you'd really need to like get into country in September um like the best best case scenario is you like you know where you want to hunt elk you kill your elk the first two weeks of september uh and then the last two weeks of september like just grab a camera and throw your pack on and go like check out some new areas because that's going to tell you you know a lot more uh like hunting pressure what the elk are doing that time of year um it's great to find them in July and August, but they oftentimes move, you know, a couple miles, 10 miles from that country. It just depends. Um, and uh, and then hunting pressure is the big one. You just, you know, that the elk are very reactive to hunting pressure. So if an area that you find in August is just loaded with elk and awesome, all of a sudden the trailhead nearby has 15, 20 rigs parked at it, that country is just completely worthless. So, uh, almost kind of a waste of time to, to scout um, in some sense in August. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I guess that's my my ram. They're, they're awesome tool. It's just uh, the practicality of uh, I totally get it if I was setting up a whitetail stand or, you know, if I'm running a, a bear bait, uh, absolutely have a camera on the bait so you know what's coming in. Uh, there's there's times and places for it. but
0: Yeah, I mean, he mentioned even specifically like Washington, Oregon, Idaho. If you're in areas where access is better and you can maybe – Hit some of those fire roads or something like that where it's going to be easier to access that trail camera to set it to check it that type of thing that's going to make a big difference but then he also make, mentions backpack hunting so it's like you know if you're getting as you said getting into that country where it's it's harder to access that camera it takes a lot more effort to set it to check it to retrieve it there's gonna be a big difference in those two strategies Um, even in how effective or practical it is for you just based off of access. And again, you know, he also said he's a newer hunter. And then like you said, Steve, you don't really scout for elk because you know areas well. So yeah, if you're a new hunter and you're trying different areas, different spots, and maybe it's this time of year, you know, there's no harm in setting something up and seeing what you can capture to kind of help you narrow down areas. And even the act of going to set the trail camera is going to get you into that country. And while you're getting into that country, you can also be looking for other sign, right? So you could be looking for old rubs if you're elk hunting, that type of thing. So if it's going to get you into the country and get you some information, it's a great thing. Um, It's just a matter of what you have access to, what you have time for, and ultimately what your goals are. Um, Yeah, so they're good tools for sure. Going back to the Alaska thing, yeah, if you just Google horrible moose Alaska or something very close to that, we're going to be like one of the top... (laughs) one of the top two results or something like that for Google is a podcast about that hunt. (laughs) We should be so proud of that, I guess. I don't know.
1: It's awesome, man. I love it. (laughs) Uh, Great memories. Great memories.
0: So we had numerous, um, follow-up questions about quilts. Uh, it's kind of like our, the new boots. (laughs) We've talked about boots and we're talking about quilts quite a bit. Um, Yeah, so numerous questions from numerous folks. Some of them were essentially asking the same question, so we'll just kind of hit a shotgun approach of of some of these that were follow-ups to our discussions on quilts. Um, One question was basically comparing a quilt to some of the newer sleeping bag designs that essentially have a sleeping pad sleeve in them. Um, He mentioned specifically Nemo and Big Agnes and was asking if we had any experience with those sleeping bags that don't have insulation on the bottom, like a quilt. And instead of being open like a quilt, there's essentially a pad sleeve. So your sleeve would go uh, attached to the sleeping bag in that way, and comparing those to quilts. Um, I actually have run those before, back when, uh, this was years ago, but when Nemo first came out with... um, I was looking at a model, actually worked with them a little bit to run some prototypes before it was released of what became called the Nemo Argali. I'm not sure if they make that. I know they also make one currently called the Moonwalk, um, which is a simply what I just discussed in terms of a hybrid. So no insulation on the bottom, but instead has a pad sleeve and that keeps you connected basically, but it's not a quilt, it's this hybrid deal. Um, I really like it. It's uh, it's a good approach, as I discussed before. For me with quilts, one of the benefits I like being a side sleeper and an active sleeper is I'm not rolling off of my sleeping pad as I would in a traditional sleeping bag. And so that solves the problem for sure with this hybrid approach. I just don't feel that they're this hybrid approach, they're typically as versatile because we've talked about the benefits of the quilt and how you can kind of kick it off and use it as much or as little as you want. And then they're not typically going to save as much weight um, as a quilt would. And I don't really find them to be easier to use. Um, Specifically like on that Nemo that I ran, you would have to inflate your sleeping pad or somehow get a not inflated sleeping pad down into the sleeve, which could be difficult. And long story short, it took essentially more room in the shelter to get set up. And essentially took as much work, if not probably more work to set that system up than it did to just attach a quilt to your sleeping pad. So I don't see a huge benefit to them, but I would say that they're nicer than a traditional sleeping bag. I was curious about the Big Agnes um, system since he mentioned it. And I knew I had seen them kind of like pop up in passing uh, in ads or what have you, but I haven't used one of those. Um, They have a different attachment system where it's kind of like a a stretch attachment it's not a fully enclosed sleeve which looks easier to use um but again i still think a quilt's going to give you more versatility have you used or seen either of those options steve
1: uh fairly familiar with the big agnes stuff uh the, the weight has just never made sense to me like um i think it's a killer system it's just not uh it's just more on par with a standard sleeping bag weight than it is closer to um you know the quilt weight so that, that's always been the hangup. Like, I, I think it's, it's probably awesome. Uh, like I'm just, just pulled up their website as you're running through it. So they're mystic UL 15, so it's a 15 yep. degree bag. It's, um, you know, it's, it's two pounds for the bag. So 32 ounces, my quilt is 19 ounces, uh, for a 20 degree quilt. So it's literally almost half the weight. Um, and you know, uh, probably, uh, at warmer if, you know, uh, not the same warmth, that warmer. So uh, That's yeah, the one they, I looked they just,
0: at. It looked like it's kind of their higher-end model, so I was really curious specs. And I compared it yeah. to my Katabatic, um, and I even compared their long version because I do have a long and wide in my CataBatic. And essentially, the Big Agnes system was going to be, I think, 12 ounces heavier, and then it also actually had less down fill in it. So even though the Big Agnes was a 15 and my Catabatic was a 22, which again is conservative in my experience, the Big yeah. Agnes wouldn't be warmer. Even though the ratings warmer had less downfill, um, they were about the same price. Um, I didn't dig into reviews, but reviews were sketchy. So again, I have nothing against Big Agnes. I think it's probably a good system. I just don't think it's as beneficial and versatile
1: as a good quilt. I so said they're, they're just. Uh, I don't think any. I think somebody this the concept of the system to me makes a lot of sense. Um, obviously you don't, you don't have the versatility of the quilt in the warm weather to dump the heat, but in the cold weather, uh, I could see it being a, a really nice system. It just, I don't think anyone's done a very good job at it of, of making it ultra lightweight. So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Um, we had some questions on dressing, uh, how we dress, what we wear as we talk about, sleeping, different ratings, quilts, sleeping bags, and then we've obviously discussed the importance of a sleeping pad, but basically questions on what we typically wear when we sleep and how that scales as cold weather changes. Um, And then specifically, he was wondering for quilts, do you essentially have to dress warm to make a quilt warm? Um, I think we've talked about that a bit in terms of the quilt's warm, keeping away from drafts is going to keep you warm. And then having a good insulated pad is going to make a world of difference. But mainly touch on the details, Steve, of like, let's say it is more mild temperatures. What do you, how do you change from your hunting clothes to kind of sleep? And then as things get later in the season and colder, what's your kind of strategy for adding warmth uh, via clothing during sleeping?
1: Yeah, I definitely. Um... I used to, when I slept in a sleeping bag, for sure, like on a hot night, I would just sleep in, you know, my underwear and a t-shirt or whatever, right? Um, Ever since changing to a quilt, I pretty much always just sleep in my clothes, um, like a lightweight wool shirt and just my prana pants that I've always got with me. Um, Mainly because it it is kind of annoying to be like stuck to the pad sometimes, you know, if you get hot and it's kind of sweaty and the, the pad's kind of that synthetic material. Um, I had a guy just messaged the other day about, he's basically doing a quilt pad system, but he wants to make like an ultra light sheet, the fitted sheet for his pad, you know? And he was asking if that was a good idea. I'm like, yeah, it's a great idea. I mean, you're going to, you know, add some weights. So like, you know, weigh those pros and cons. Uh, I've just, they like said evolved into, um, I don't know if I evolves the right word, but just, I, I just sleep in, in my clothes. And then, um, like I said, if it's hot, uh, the, the, beauty of that quilt is I don't strap it in or anything. It's just a blanket that I'm kind of half in half out. Right. Um, and so being in my clothes, isn't that big of a deal. And it's never, it's never so hot at night that just sleeping in your, you know, thin pants is, is killing you. So, uh, and then, yeah, as, as it gets colder, I just add more layers on. I mean, um, some of the, some of my cold hunts last year, I slept in every single item I brought with me down jacket and, you know, socks and my long johns and pants. And, puffy pants and um you know, had some super cold nights out there you know when you're talking 5 degrees so um that uh yeah just add more layers as, as it gets colder and uh, it's uh you know uh, obviously just makes it warmer there in the bag for you so
0: yeah I'm essentially the same and then just obviously keeping a close eye on trying to make sure I'm um getting into dry clothing um, even oh, if yeah. something even if something doesn't necessarily feel wet, because maybe you've been wearing it for hours and you don't like you've just kind of adapted to the way that that garment feels like there can be a huge difference between, you know, say, taking your base layer off. And even at times I've put on like my mid layer to sleep, not because I want the extra warmth, but just because I hadn't been wearing that layer and it's drier like it's fully dry. And going to something fully dry is going to keep you more comfortable to sleep in. I will take, like, say that specific scenario. Maybe I've been wearing my lightweight merino base layer all day. It's not even wet, wet, but just has a little bit of dampness. I take that off, put on, say, my mid-layer top. I'll just throw that base layer um, in the sleeping bag with me and, you know, basically use my body warmth and that through night to kind of help dry it out. Um, again, I'm not talking a situation where it's soaked, but just that dampness. So that's the only other thing I would add is just, you know, you're sleeping in clothing's great, but I typically just try to make that something kind of fresh and dry. So changing socks, maybe changing, um, a base layer. Again, I don't typically pack an extra base layer, but just pack, uh, putting on a different layer, if you will. Um, that's part of my system. Yeah. Um, let's see there's a good question on this guy was looking at the catabatic stuff specifically um and he was having questions on they essentially have two different lines their flex line and their elite line uh, which have different features so you can get like a say a 22 degree quilt in either the flex or in the elite and he was wondering the pros and cons and then we can relate that to not being catabatic specific but as we talk about one of these features one of the differences and that, for example, is a sewn footbox versus uh, a quilt that has a fully open or um, like a full blanket style. You can open it way up and not have a sewn footbox, for example. Um, so we can hit that in a second. But in general, between those two lines, if we were looking at Katabatic specifically, I did choose the Elite. He was wondering, he heard me mention that I use theirs, but didn't know what. I, so I have the Alsec 22, which is part of their Elite line. It has a different cut to it, so more of a mummy cut. Again, as I've mentioned, I do have the wide, so I still have good space in it. Um, and then a big difference for me was not the only the size of the cuts in terms of it being a bit more mummy shaped, um, but that differential cut that we've talked about, which kind of helps the quilt kind of wrap around you, move with you, keeps the down um, in place and the insulation in place and then especially as you're moving a little bit it just the cut of that is going to kind of envelop you a bit better so i really like that differential cut and then it also has um the secondary attachment system um so what i just preferred that so if we keep catabatic specific those are the benefits that i saw in the elite series but go ahead and talk steve about maybe the pros and cons because you could take this same scenario for a lightened equipment specifically with that foot box of. Something that has a sewn footbox that's actually enclosed versus this zippered footbox or some other type of footbox that al- allows you to open it way up and essentially turn a quilt into more of an open blanket.
1: Yeah, um, my first Enlightened Equipment quilt was a uh, Revelation, which is their uh, equivalent to the Flex from Katabatic, uh where you know, the, the whole thing zips out to become a completely flat blanket. I just I had that for quite a few years basically never used that feature primarily because i was sleeping in a bivy sack so it's like it it was kind of everything was getting all tucked together down there at the bottom anyways um i never used that feature because it it, i found that uh while it was nice it just um like at home like we had had the you know blanket like sit on the couch and you watch a movie in it or something um uh, but out there in the field i just never found myself using the, the fully unzip the bottom and have it be this big flat blanket in fact if, if anything it's kind of nice to like tuck your feet in there and um just kind of keep your feet warm even on a you know quasi warm night so the next quilt that i ordered was i believe they're enigma uh which is exact same quilt uh just with the foot box sewn closed so um yeah i guess for me it was the uh, the weight difference is like I don't know if it's two ounces. Just you know, there's a little tiny weight there for a drawstring and a, and a little small zipper. Um, but if you're if you're trying to save every ounce and uh, like like I was and, and never use that zip open portion of the footbox, then then yeah, you might as well just get the one that's sewn closed. Uh, the most versatility for sure is is if it opens up at the bottom. But uh, yeah, I think it's just uh, you're kind of splitting hairs at that point. You're just talking about a, a couple ounces, so.
0: We had a few questions about hammocks, and if we've used them, uh, if we like them, I would just say we have a full episode on hammocks. Um, It was episode 168. That's kind of like a deep dive into the pros and the cons and what people do wrong with hammocks and kind of the right way to use them. Um, Yeah, in terms of like personal opinion, I do use them somewhat sparingly, so I'll use them... In warmer weather, I generally will use them for more like backpacking trips this time of year versus hunting trips in the fall. Um, in the end, I've just found that for mountainous conditions, um, September, October, and on, I really don't save much weight or space by packing a hammock type shelter. Because um, again, you're going to need a hammock. You're still going to need some sort of insulation like a quilt or a sleeping bag if you're doing it in cooler temps you're going to want an underquilt. you're going to want a tarp or some other cover so when you put all that together it essentially ends up being a similar um, sleep system to a, a shelter and a standard sleeping pad sleeping bag so you don't really save much weight or space in the pack typically um, that said they are incredibly comfortable so if, you know weight savings isn't what you're after and you just Love sleeping in a hammock versus on the ground. I think there's a great way to do it and a, a good way to do it. And again, I'd check out that episode. So I think they have their place. It's just not, um, not my primary go-to unless it's you know moderate weather, mild weather, um, and I do sleep fantastic in one for sure. Anything to add to that, Steve?
1: Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I tried the hammock years ago. Uh, basically, saying like. You, I froze my butt off, and it didn't have to be very cold to freeze your butt off. Like 40 degrees and under, uh, it, they're really, really cold. Uh, I, I have not. I, w- I want to revisit the system, and I need to reach out to somebody and just get a loaner where you, they provide the under quilt. Um, so it's basically a quilt that drapes underneath the bottom of the hammock to provide insulation on the bottom side. Because I, I tried using a pad inside the quilt and that's or inside the hammock but that's just a mess um it's just constantly like slipping left and right and you're sliding off of it and uh, it just doesn't work very well but I, i'd like to re- revisit the system I, I loved the um you could just sleep anywhere you know <laughs> like i mean we, we've talked about that how many times have we talked about that of finding real estate uh flat ground in the mountains can be really tricky at times especially when you're when you're uh, hunting off your back and, and camp's always with you so you're just sleeping where where you are when it gets dark um yeah the, the year that i used it man it was just it's so nice there's there's always a, a rock and a tree or two trees and you know i never had an issue finding a spot it was way easier to find that than it than the alternative of find a find a flat spot on the ground to sleep on so but yeah like you said the weight savings is not there um a little tricky from a gear perspective as well. Like you, you almost have to like, you have to have a trash bag or something to put your gear in. Cause it's not obviously going into the hammock with you. You know, you're not gonna have your pack inside the hammock. Um, so that's gotta be outside on the ground, you know, kind of getting, um, like waking up in the morning and getting your shoes on stuff when it's cold, like you're not inside of a tent to do that. So there's a few kind of things you got to work around. Um, yeah, in the end, my decision would be like A, you just sleep so miserable on a pad, and you sleep amazing in a quilt. That would be a justification, and B, under like you really, really appreciate that versatility of being able to to pitch that thing wherever. Um, those would be two things that I would like look at as as decisions to 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 you know bring a, a hammock with you instead of a, a, a you know a, a baby sack tarp or a tent or whatever. But yeah, unfortunately, you think the um, you just go oh hammock that's going to be super light i'm going to save a bunch of weight but by the time you add all the stuff you got to you got to get to make it a full system um it's just the weight is weight savings is is not there and as far as i'm aware you know it, even the ultra light stuff's going to be heavier than what i'm currently my current system i don't think you could get it lighter yeah mm-hmm.
0: yeah the underquilt thing is a game changer i mean it's definitely necessity um to do it right like you in the past have done it Without an underquilt, I've done it by trying to sleep a yeah. pad. Um, neither work, <laughs> unless it's just warm. Um, but the underquilt definitely works really well. It's just, again, now it's another item um, to add. I think one of the, honestly, going back to what you mentioned about gear storage and kind of the livability of it in terms of putting your shoes on or maybe a place to cook and crappier weather. For me, it's one of the like final straws has been finding that good tarp option um and to create kind of some of that livability so good cover for weather when you're in the hammock ideally a little bit of space to give you some cover if you're sitting outside the hammock Um, but again by the time you add that bigger tarp solution on top of everything else bulk and weights adding up pretty quick Um, yeah so maybe yeah if listeners have a suggestion on the way to keep that light kind of address some of those livability concerns or maybe your best Um, suggestion there's a ton of different tarps and options out there for sure but um yeah it's like you it's an area that i'd almost like to revisit in a way but i tried it and i think i understand the benefits and the drawbacks and to me it for most situations um again in the fall for hunting seasons it doesn't make the most sense yet but someone can enlighten us steve (laughs) yeah um Dry bags, uh, gentleman wrote in and said, you mentioned on one of your recent podcasts that you do not use stuff sacks, which made me wonder if you use dry bags or not. He didn't specify if he's uh, referring to individual dry bags or, you know, like our dry bag liner solution. Um, Steve, but maybe talk about the use of dry bags when you go to one obviously <laughs> when it's wet would be a good option but kind of the versatility as well um that you see or the options you see for using um like take our full dry bag liner for the pack for example
1: yeah i mean i i don't use small dry bags if that's what he's referring to for sure uh, it's not like i have a dry bag for my um you know my sleeping bag and dry bag for my clothes and again to me that's a i just consider that a stuff sack we do have uh you know at XO we have our dry bag liner the whole intent to that was to make the pack completely waterproof for for rainy days for really wet hunts rafting rivers stuff like that um you know we're just uh from a lot of personal experience absolutely hate rain covers uh there's just so many drawbacks to them and they don't really work that well um so we wanted a different system and 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 option for when you're going to encounter wet weather and so that's where we came up with our our dry bag liners basically lying the entire inside of the pack and yeah absolutely i don't use them um you know i guess we we always talk about having a tote at the truck with all your backups i always have a dry bag in that tote uh again you know i'm checking the weather before i leave town if if it's questionable i'm rechecking the weather via my inreach like right at the trailhead and you know sometimes it's it's a um you know, a, a, just a moment by moment decision of, do I take the dry bag or not? You know, again, a, if you're someone who doesn't care about weight, are, they're only like seven ounces, um, you know, throw it in the pack and you're safe. You know, for me, I'm such a weight weenie that I am making that decision and that calculation, you know, at the trailhead. So throw, if it's going to be wet weather, if it's looking bad, you know, there's going to be, it's a four day hunt, but day two looks like a hundred percent chance of rain all day, every day. Um, or all day long. Um, then yeah, I'm going to throw that dry bag in. I won't use it until I need it because it is it is an access only from the top, so it's kind of like a you know a duffel bag style where it is a pain in the butt to get things in and out of. But that's the only way to to do the dry bag to where it's it's simple, light, and basically our whole thought was guarantee that you know if you're on a hunt where it really matters, uh, say you're on a, a sheep hunt and you're crossing a river and you fall in. Um, you're, you know, when you get out, get out of the river on the other bank, uh, all your gear still dry and that, that's the intent of that dry bag system. Um, so you just don't have to worry about it, period. Uh, you're going to be fine. Um, no matter how wet it gets. So, um, yeah. You, you mentioned
0: in the passing the, the downsides of a traditional pack rain cover. Um, but I don't think most people see those or understand them necessarily until maybe they think about it. And again, we're not like if. If you want a pack ring cover, then that's great. And you can get mini pack ring covers on the market that would fit our packs if you want to. So we're not saying like there's no place for them or don't use one, yada, yada. If that's what you want to do, hit it. But what uh, like what do you see as those downsides of this traditional
1: ring cover? Um, a, they're not, you know, they are, it's like putting on a water resistant jacket. Uh, Right. Like if it's raining and you put on a water resistant jacket, like, yeah, it's probably going to shed most of the water, but, but definitely not all of it. And eventually at some point it's going to saturate. Um, so, you know, yeah, it kind of covers the the pack side, but you still got the entire suspension side that water can come through. Um, they're really noisy and flappy in the wind. Um, so if you're in windy country that they're just you know, it's just flapping and going like crazy. Uh if you're wearing that thing and you gotta go through some actual real brush, it's just gonna get ripped and shredded to pieces. Um the the one of the bigger ones too is just accessing the pack. Like uh basically you're you're covering the entire pack. So if it's, you know, kind of raining or you're in between rain, uh and you wanna take your spine scope and tripod out, now all of a sudden you gotta take the whole cover off. Everything's gonna get you know, exposed to the rain. Uh, and then you got to, you know, get your spine scope tripod out, put it all back together. Um, so for us, it's, it's kind of like, let's just put everything that needs to stay dry, um, inside the dry bag goes in the pack and then the entire pack still functions. Um, but you, you gotta be okay with it getting wet, which isn't a big deal at all. Right. So, um, your spine scope and tripod are obviously waterproof. Who cares if they get wet? Uh, who cares if the shell fabric of the pack gets wet? Um, and so you have access to all that stuff and you don't have to worry about the brush and the wind and and everything else. Um, and the weight penalty, you know, most rain covers are going to be depending on, I'm going to say between four and six ounces and and our dry bags, you know, seven to eight ounces. So the weight penalty is very nil for going from quasi water resistant to a hundred percent waterproof solution. Um, so for us, it just made complete sense.
0: Yeah, I just, you know, the more I've used them, which to be honest with you, I've used the dry bag most in the exo dry bag liner. I've used it most not as a pack liner. It's so, like that versatility of it is something that I really like of, yeah, it's that insurance like, you know, when we went to Alaska to have that dry bag long if the weather turns crap, but, you know, then just having it as a camp bag or, you know, traveling with it. There's so much to it that kind of extends that versatility, which is honestly the way I've used it most, you know, whether that's a float trip or something like that um, to just kind of have it, which is nice. Yeah. Cool. Um, We had a question on the, I guess folks, you know, hearing us talk in the last couple of weeks about family camping, um, any advice for getting the entire family out into the outdoors or going on multi-day camping trips, what are your setups when camping with the family? So that's a broad question. Um, doesn't say backpacking specifically, for example, but just I think on on getting the whole family out or getting kids out, um, man, a lot of it to me is just starting really simple. Uh, I'm just thinking of like with our kids, our first camping trips were not glamorous by any means they weren't like remote and crazy country with young kids they were like very quick trips to a more established campground where you know worse comes to worse you can get access to facilities if you have to that type of thing um, when the kids were younger we would go to like state parks that had campgrounds, but they also would have like a playground and that type of stuff just to, you know, help them pass the time and enjoy the experience. So they weren't these uh yeah, glamorous backcountry trips. Um but, you know, as as they've gotten a little bit older and then gotten more used to um camping, we've we've extended the time. We've made that more remote. So like the that last, the latest trip that we went on was you know, to a, a place with no facilities. We were, um, and we don't have a trailer. So like we, we camp from my truck, we have a rooftop tent and, um, kind of a pretty slick setup from our truck, but like, you know, they're to the point where, uh, my wife and daughter are using a bucket as a toilet and that type of thing. So, you know, I would just say, don't start off roughing it and start off with like easy trips, realistic expectations. And especially if your kids are young, like a a plan B of we're going to try this and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work again. That was for us like tent camping and that type of thing. But with you guys, like you guys take a trailer, Steve, so it's probably a bit easier with younger kids doing that. I'd imagine.
1: Yeah, I'd say probably first and foremost, if your wife doesn't want to go camping, you're pretty much S.O.L. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like If your wife is a stay at home, kind of not roughing it, getting dirty, um, that's an uphill battle to start with. So, you, you, hopefully, your wife's down with it. Um, I'm, well, yeah, a thousand percent didn't want to own a trailer. Um, you know, just, I grew up camping every freaking weekend. We never had a trailer, just had tents, and I had a blast. My wife grew up with a trailer, like, had lots and lots of great memories. Um, every summer that, you know, they would travel all over the country towing their trailer around. Uh, and so when we've had our daughter, um, you know, had the conversation with my wife, and it was a very real, like, like okay, if I buy a trailer, like you, you know, I, I think the realization was we're gonna go camping once or twice the summer without it, and we're gonna go five or six times with it. And so I was like, all right, done, easy. Like, you know, I'll buy it and if it means I gotta get my family up in the mountains more, and my wife's happier, um, great. And then I, I think some of the, uh, I think you you alluded to it a couple podcasts ago about like you've got a system dialed in, you've got like totes and like. You got to make these things with kids. It only gets harder and time is, you know, more precious. um, And it's just really hard to find. Um, So you just got to make things as easy as possible. So that if that means having all these totes with all the camping gear to where it's like literally you just need to throw food and clothes in and throw the totes in the truck and go, you know, trailers makes that really easy. Like everything like the trailer is set up right now. So it's pretty self-sufficient, right? We just literally got to go to the store and grab clothes. Uh, and we can go. So it's, it's not a half day production to get the the vehicle loaded up and get out of town. It's uh, a matter of an hour or two. So, Mm -hmm. um, make it easy. And then like you said, make it, um, you know, with the kids, it's, it's not about you. It's about the kids and making sure that they're having fun and and make the the trips, um, start out short. Um, if they want to, you know, just kind of cater to them. I struggle with that sometimes, you know, like I want to, um, you know go to places that maybe it's like a really long drive but i know it's beautiful but the the kids could really care less i just like you know my daughter just wants a creek to play in and you know she'd care less if it's an established campground or not but um it's uh um yeah so just just focus on the kids and then like you said i think you've done it right of slowly graduate into doing more and more longer durations and going further and uh seeing different places so um. Yeah, I'm. A, I'm. A, I know. I'm super excited just to to get out with the family this year. We went twice last year, as all just because my son was, you know, the first trip we went, he was like two weeks old, uh, mm-hmm. and then we went again in the middle of the summer. But and the bugs were absolutely horrendous, and uh, and then oh, we the yeah, and there's just people everywhere in July, and it was just a train wreck. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to to getting out a bunch this year with the family, and um, yeah, just great experiences out there, and. Um, you know, try to try to raise my children how I was raised and up there in the mountains, camping, fishing, hiking, all that good stuff. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. But a random point when you're just talking about bugs and all that too is, I mean, I have been pretty intentional with trying to go when the weather's pretty stinking ideal, especially early on. Like if you're just going to go and it's rainy or if it's crazy cold, like if the conditions are going to make it miserable, that's all well and good for your personal thing and backpack hunting and whatever. But for a family trip, it's just, it's not going to make it fun. It's not going to make it something they want to do. So that's just another, I know it can be like, even from personal experience, it's hard to find the time and or set aside the time in advance and then plan with the weather. It can be really difficult, but that goes back to being able to kind of like go on short notice of like, Oh, the weather's gonna be perfect this weekend. There's this one thing we can cancel on the schedule and we have our stuff together in a way that we can like kind of last minute go and not you know like you said take two days to get ready to go but we know what we're doing we have the checklist like just like we talk about with our gear list and how easy it is if you were to come to me and say you need to go to Alaska for a week and you're leaving tomorrow I'd be like all right sweet because I have a list you know of gear and I know what I need and I can make that happen it's the same way like for our family camping it's a totally different list obviously but It's literally just this checklist of, we figured out by going what we need, what we don't need, the mistakes we've made, and we just have that in a list. So in the same way that you dial in your personal gear, dial in that same gear, um, you know, it only takes once or twice of forgetting something to realize how important it is, make sure that gets on a list, and then just, boom, stuff's organized, execute the list, and go have some fun.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Cool, well that's a wrap for today. We'll have a full episode next week. Actually, uh it's with you and I, Steve, as well as Lenny, the co-founder of EXO Mountain Gear, and a conversation we recorded, I think it was it was just before this whole COVID mess, actually. Um, mm. about kind of the EXO origins backstory, uh, you know, requests that we've gotten over time and feedback. one feedback people appreciate that we're not like constantly talking about products and packs. But then honestly, people have also requested they want to know more about like the story and the behind the scenes and all that. So we kind of uh, the three of us took a look at the origins and backstory and don't it's not even really product specific. It's more about, you know, kind of the philosophy of the company, as you will, and some of the decisions we make and why. And so it's kind of a fun episode to listen to. So that'll be the the full podcast for tomorrow. And then we'll be back with uh, more TSS episodes later this week. So if you have a question, topic, anything like that that you want to hear about, just send us an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. Thanks for tuning in.